This time on Watchers of Tomorrow, they're packleds. They listen to podcasts. Watches of Tomorrow, the sci-fi review and critique show that is smart and go fast. Let us go. My name is Gep, and I'm joined as always by my friend and co-host, Dr. Izix. Hi! And this week we have the one episode that Lower Decks misunderstood and turned into an entire season arc. Yeah, I guess the, uh, the very top-level service interpretation of what's going on here, which, you know, they kind of took and ran with without really delving at all into what's actually going on but you know that happens sometimes yeah there's some stuff that contradicts but you know that's that's par for the course yeah no uh i i guess there's maybe some thoughts i can have on that later but eh, we haven't even gone to the episode yet so <laughs> i'm gonna do my best it's not gonna work but i'm gonna do my best to just stick to the text of this episode and ignore what happens you know 20 years from now in lower decks yes uh actually almost 30 Almost 30 years now, apparently. We live in the future, Gapwin. It's weird. <laughs> we call it the present, but, you know. So we have, like, you know, you know, handheld communicators that we could use to, uh, like, scan things and, you know, you know, you know, communicate with people in the far reaches of the universe and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm sorry. My friend, this is an aside, but my friend showed me a write-up he'd found that was one of the original um mini reviews that they did for new tv shows to to like say you know star trek is starting on this channel here's our little mini review write-up so you can understand what it is before you watch it yes and one of the things that they mentioned specifically was that they have walkie talkies (laughs) which like every everyone and every like tech bro idiot and their and their brother right now is like well star trek inspired the cell phone look at the way that we innovate technology they're walkie talkies they're space walkie talkies <laughs> they had walkie talkies yes they're just radio <laughs> it's just a radio yeah it's just a fancy uh, way to use it you know so you put a little flippy do on your space radio and that that's what it was it wasn't yep. a cell phone they weren't they weren't creating cell phones you all forgot that you played with walkie talkies as a child <laughs> you know and uh, never mind that like there's uh you know old uh, uh pulp stuff from like the 30s where there are folks running around with stuff that was outmatching you know even tng sort of uh tech occasionally so <laughs> yeah you don't want a two-way wrist radio exactly <laughs> or a two-way wrist all this stuff was, uh, you know, bounding, uh, bouncing around in the uh, the science fiction uh, quarters. But I guess the, you know it popularized these ideas as a possibility. I guess, you know, that when walkie talkies were forgotten. <laughs> you may as well say that Rocky and Bullwinkle invented the Apple Watch because they had the wrist radios. <laughs> no. Hmm. Rocky. Bullwinkle. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> having a flashbacks to a previous review. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, uh, this Dr. episode Scott. was written by Robert L. McCool. That's a cool name. I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. McCullo? McCullo. McCullo. There's Jens and a GH. I'm not sure what to do with that, if I'm being honest. McCullen? Maybe. 
Because, you know. There's no N in it. But. So? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he, he wrote some stuff, uh, including a lot of Falcon Crest and Zorro. Yeah, did a lot. Um, he previously worked on Icarus Factor, so we've seen some of his stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, he's also done episodes of Bionic Woman, Galactica 1980, uh, shows like. Uh, Kung Fu, The Legend Continues, and Baywatch Nights will will be coming up. I feel like the amount of time that we have like heard Touched of on, Baywatch yeah. Nights, we need to do a spinoff. At least watch some of this cursed, so, cursed series. Yeah, it's like, what, what is this a rap out? Really? Uh, there are some channels that actually touch upon this in terms of YouTube stuff, and uh, some of the stuff I've seen from that is like, yeah, this show just seems so bizarre. <laughs> Uh, we have a few guest stars again. Mm-hmm. Yes. We've got Lucia Naff is back as Selena Gomez. Uh, this is the last time she will ever be seen. Until much later. Much, much later. Well, the interesting thing, too, is right after we recorded the episode where we were talking about her and how she never shows up again, I saw something on Tumblr that was, did you know there is a 40 series long book series that deals with selena gomez and her adventures in the engineering corps of starfleet i did not neat and it's not just like fanfic right no it's an actual published book series you know it's probably in the like legends category of continuity but uh still yeah, yeah, it's good close enough <laughs> cool oh she was and also we... on baywatch <laughs> <laughs> And we have Christopher Collins playing Packlid Commander Captain Reb Delog. I don't know Reb, if they ever say his you, name particularly, but yeah, so the, the guy. <laughs> yeah, all of them have weird, unpronounceable names. The like Grimblog. <laughs> anyway, um, he played the Klingon captain in Matter of Honor, and he's better known for voice acting. Notably, he was Cobra Commander in GI Joe. And, I was uh, a man! <laughs> Mr. Burns and Moe in the first season of The Simpsons before they changed all the voice cast. Ah, yes. Uh, also, uh, he uh, comes back for uh, for some DS9 later. Yeah. Probably yes. playing a Klingon, I'm guessing. Uh, I think in one of them. Uh, well, he's playing a guard, apparently, in Blood Oath. Um, and also, uh, Durg is the, in The Passenger. Dirk. Dirk. Everybody remembers Dirk. Good old yes. Dirk. <laughs> oh, it was also in the real Ghostbusters. Neat. And then we've got Leslie Morris playing Regnod. Uh, it's like almost like Reginald, but Reginord. Uh, <laughs> Reginod. Reginod. Yes, uh, they, they he's were, been in a lot of other yeah. films. He's had like bit parts in films like uh, Terminator and something that mistranslated on my spell checker, so I'm not sure what I was trying to write. <laughs> Megaville? It's written as like Ringstone, so maybe something Rhinestone, mm. maybe something in that line, but I'm mm. sorry my spell checker ate it. Yeah, uh, it was also on Falcon Crest. For one episode. Uh, <laughs> yes, uh, Rhinestone was uh, what you're thinking of there. Rhinestone. Haha. I've never heard of it, so you know. <laughs> so Often also, my spell checker doesn't matter because I remember what the thing was anyway and it can remind me. But I've never heard of Rhinestone as a movie. Yeah. So. It's like a Rhinestone cowboy, but different. 
<laughs> Rhinestone Sands Cowboy. <laughs> yeah, it was also Mike the Cop in Earth Girls Are Easy. Oh, really? Yeah. That was such a stupid movie. Yep. I hated it. <laughs> and finally, we've got Daniel Benzal as the surgeon. He's had um, the most fun role. He was uh, his the most fun role as G.W. Bowell in uh, James Bond, A View to Kill. Hmm. Who's a uh, oil and mining guy who's killed by Christopher Walken. <laughs> He's also been in the X Files, NYPD Blue, and a few other little background things. By dawn's early light. And more Falcon Crest. Oh gosh, it's it's all over the place suddenly. <laughs> what, what is this? <laughs> it's a daytime TV, uh, you know, soap opera sort of thing that was okay. Eighties, early nineties, I think. That makes sense. That's why everyone is in it. Yes. <laughs> these 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 soap operas need so much actor churn. Yes. <laughs> there's the the regulars, and then there's the uh, the guest stars, and then there's the. Uh, you know, sort of a couple seasons, uh, you know, actors. And then there's the people who replace other actors because the other actor, uh, you know, is at rehab or died or had their brain replaced in the, you know, an episode a few uh, you know, points earlier and, you know, like sort of stuff. Yeah, all that stuff. Yes. Also, they were in a general hospital. <laughs> and that's all the guest stars. But one completely, utterly unrelated fact that I just thought was funny is when you try to search for Sumerian Snare to, like, you know, pull up a Wikipedia page that you can look at to make sure you're remembering stuff while you're recording, um, the search engine really likes to try to autocorrect that to Sumerian Snake God. Mm. Well, the, the <laughs> thing is, Gapwin, it's not Sumerian Snare, it's Samaritan Snare. Mm. So, uh, so Sumerian uh, Snake God, I think, is, uh, you know, Google uh, just kind of going uh, with the flow yeah, of that. autocorrecting. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, so if you try to search Samaritan Snare, you might get Samarian Snake God, which I thought was fun. <laughs> you know, uh, would, uh, you know, so uh, what, what have you learned about this Samarian Snake God? Is it, uh, is it cool? The Mesopotamian deity of uh, vegetation, the underworld and war. Cool. Yeah, the deity of vegetation and war. Vegetable war. Vegetable wars. Ningish Zeta, apparently. Ningish Zeta. Wait a moment. Have I run into that in D&D at some point? Almost certainly. Hmm. D&D loves to reuse he reuse ancient Sumerian shit. Well, and kind of everybody else's. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, we have a story, such as it is. It's mostly just an excuse for them to write some weird jokes in here that we're going to have to deconstruct in a way that you aren't going to like later. Yes. So, uh, let's get started. So, Wesley is hurt because he's about to leave to a nearby starbase to take his next level Starfleet Academy exams, which is necessary for him to continue getting Academy credit for being on the Enterprise. So, That's about well, it for Wesley. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so, you can just continue to sit around here and uh, be on the show. Okay. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, Picard is arguing with Pulaski because she is ordering him to get medical attention at a starbase because he refuses to do whatever it is he wants. she wants him to do. Uh, no. This is unclear at this point. Well, uh, Captain, uh, if uh, I know we haven't introduced Riser yet, but if it's one of those sorts of problems, you know, there's like pills mm -hmm. for that now. And so Picard meets with Wesley and informs him that he's going to be going to the starbase with him 
So now Wesley is apprehensive about the idea that he has to spend six hours alone in a shuttlecraft with Captain Picard. So uh, a little bit of an awkward uh, road trip there. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, you're, you're going by warp, right? <laughs> yeah. Still takes right? a while to get places by warp. <laughs> I'm not actually sure they do those. <laughs> yeah, they might not. Maybe it's just too close. Maybe warp drive is like, this will take more than a day. Six hours is like, this is like a road trip. Don't waste your engines. Yeah. <laughs> yeah preserve that antimatter. So, you know, this you, you have to go on a road trip with your surrogate father figure slash distant commanding officer. <laughs> what could go wrong? Yeah, hopefully no wacky hijinks. Yeah, this isn't the other, the one where they have wacky high tanks. This is the yes. one where they bond as men. Yes. but uh, The other one's the one where they have wacky high tanks. Yes. <laughs> so I, I guess because we don't have wacky high jinks now, they have to have it later. Got it. Yeah. So as soon as Picard and Wesley are gone, the ship detects its distress signal the, the instant they leave. Yes, like... <laughs> they're not even like done clearing the shuttle bay and it's like oh we got a, a, a distress signal oh, okay <laughs> they'll take them far away from the captain but there's nothing to be done so Riker uh, radios them to respond they find an old sub like ship on board are the Paclids who are guys with small bushy eyebrows and a simplistic way of speaking mm-hmm. their ship's broken they need to make it go you know makes as much sense as anything yeah, yeah, you know, keep it uh, simple. Uh, you know, and uh, maybe there, uh, you know, there's you know quirks of the translation thing that they might be trying to be careful with here. And uh, you know, they're new to this whole interstellar uh, community thing. You know, you, making things not complicated is perhaps a good idea. So Jordy thinks that he can beam over and just fix up whatever's wrong pretty easily. Worf goes, "Hey, uh, maybe we shouldn't send our chief engineer bridge officer over to a completely unknown ship." And Riker goes, oh, look, they're cute and harmless. <laughs> um, but, you know, Worf is 100% correct here. You know, if the, the job is actually really easy, send someone over who maybe needs more time making, you know, you know more experience making these kinds of simple repairs. Yeah. And also Data points out that they may just not have overly developed language skills. So maybe you shouldn't take their way of speaking as an indication of their level of uh, ability. Indeed. Uh, speaking a... of language skills, Wesley tries to make small talk with Picard. Uh, we find out that he's going to the Starbase to replace his mechanical heart, and that is all the backstory we get. <laughs> yes, uh, for the rest of the episode, for sure, right? No, just for that then. <laughs> he, you know, he opens up slowly. He's such a blocked-off person. Yeah. Yes. But, uh, you know, so uh, we've got a mechanical heart for Picard. Mm-hmm. So... Really, this entire time, the re- maybe the reason he's been so distant and and sort of uh, aloof is he knows that he can't get close to anyone because deep down he knows he has no heart. Yeah, it's like the Tin Man. Yeah, <laughs> this whole thing is just a giant Wizard of Oz reference. <laughs> so uh, wait, wait a moment. Uh, you know, Tin Man. Um, I guess we know who the Scarecrow is supposed to be. I guess. Uh, but they end up being, you know, you know, smarter than they're, you know, being shown off. So who's lacking courage? Uh, yeah, hmm. I don't know. Maybe Worf's just fronting. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's why uh, early seasons he was uh, so uh, like outwardly aggressive at times. It's like, you know, you know, trying to uh, put on a you know front in order to uh, you know make himself uh, look as courageous as he's supposed to be. But you know, deep down, he's not quite 
gotten that I should be a fearless warrior in actuality quite down yet. Like, then so who's the wizard? The main... <laughs> Q. Oh yeah, previous episode. Yeah, it kind of makes sense. <laughs> so back at the main plot, uh, Jordy's fixing things in the pack of the chip, but as soon as he fixes anything, another thing breaks. So he just has to keep going. Uh, Troy comes to the bridge because she is getting some sneaky scheming feelings from these seemingly cute, harmless dudes over there. Indeed. Uh, so uh, I guess it's about time you showed up, Troy, but I guess you also have like other things you do on the ship other than sit on the bridge and watch stuff happen. So I guess that Supposedly. is kind of... yeah. Yeah, we do see here like actually counseling people like later in the series, but at this point we not haven't really seen that at all. Just sort of yes, just sometimes yeah. <laughs> she's not on the bridge for yeah reasons. Yes, <laughs> uh, and uh, so I, I guess it's just a sort of a a good uh, building up the realism of how a ship like this might actually work. Uh, but, uh, you know, with convenient timing to have the plot uh, work Yeah, out. it's like, when, when, where was she 10 minutes ago when this would have been helpful? Yes. <laughs> so, uh, Jordy finishes up. The Packlets grab his phaser and shoot him, then turn their shields on and cut off the Enterprise from all communications. Huh. Uh, how about that? Um, um, can you give Jordy back, please? <laughs> We're being nice to you guys. Come on. Since we have a cliffhanger over there, we get to jump back to the shuttle where Picard offers Wesley lunch, and they talk about women, commitment. Picard never had time for anything. You know, At least nothing Wesley serious. asks if he's always been a model officer, and Picard goes, oh no, how do you think I lost my heart? <laughs> uh, so this is where we get the thing that's fleshed out much later in Tapestry, mm-hmm. that... As a young officer, he was at a bar with some Nausicans, who is a name we've just made up at this point. Yes. They're looking for a fight. Everyone else steered clear, but he was like, oh, I'm going to go confront them. And then he holds his own against two of them until one stabs him in the back and goes straight through his heart. If he hadn't been close to a medical facility, he definitely would have died. Yes. Because, <laughs> you know, uh, having a giant blade go th- right through your heart is going to cause a lot of bleeding mm. very quickly. Uh, your entire you know body cavity is going to be full of blood, and it's going to come out both ends uh, probably uh, from uh, where you were you know uh, stabbed <laughs> and where it came out and that sort of thing. So you're going to be losing a lot of blood very quickly for starters. Plus, your heart's not longer able to work properly. Yeah. Well, so the immediate if, yeah. problem that you hit there is that your heart's not going to be able to pump correctly. Uh, as long as you don't take the sword out, you aren't going mm-hmm. to lose a massive amount of blood right that second. Yes, uh, so, though the, you know if, if the blade's through the heart, the heart's still trying to move, so you're still going mm, to get the internal bleeding problem. Yeah, you are going to get internal bleeding. But that's yeah. suffice it to say. If you get stabbed by something, leave it there mm-hmm. until someone can deal with it. Yes. Yeah, and, unless it's the uh, the blade of uh, infect you with everything right now, which case you're kind of screwed. No, uh, then you're screwed anyway. Yeah. You know. Yes. So this is this. That's the story of how I was viscerally stabbed, and it turned me into the man I am today. More, more sandwiches. Yes. <laughs> now I, I will point out that at first uh, uh, Wesley kind of was like, "Yeah, I'm not hungry," uh, sort of stuff there, and I just can't help thinking in that moment, you know, maybe Wesley's smelling these sandwiches and he just finds them totally disgusting, but then he's being very <laughs> polite. It's like, okay, I guess I'll have some some lunch with you or something like that. Uh, and so, you know, if, if you can, if, you know, having that, you know, after seeing this episode so many times and then just kind of pop in my head like that, it does kind of make this uh, scene read a little bit different that, you know, Wes, you know, you know, Wesley's trying to be polite and then it's like, oh gosh, 
Picard used to be like a you know a crazy man. Well, I guess that might explain the sandwiches. <laughs> but you know, this is all in my head here. So anyway, <laughs> so back on the Packlet ship, Jordy's being held at gunpoint. They want weapons. The entire thing is a ruse. The ship was never broken. And the Packlets just wanted to kidnap Jordy so that they could be stronger. Mm-hmm. Now, now they, uh, first, before they want weapons, they want everything in the uh, Enterprise's computer, which, as we already know, is like the size of a building and mm. has basically everything ever that you would want to put on a computer. So, you know. Yeah. And they contact the Enterprise to try to trade Jordy for the entire contents of the enterprise's computer which might be impossible for their ship to take actually you think about it uh then we're back on the starbase where wesley made sure picard actually goes into the doctor because he promised pulaski he would yeah yeah <laughs> which i guess does beg some uh, continuity questions because that means he knew that he was there for a medical procedure but anyway <laughs> but maybe not what medical procedure yeah you know. true <laughs> And then, of course, despite the fact that this is a routine surgery, something goes wrong. They need a specialist, and the only specialist in the area is Pulaski. Of course, Pulaski is, you know, tied up until they get Geordi back. Indeed. And uh, I'd also like to point out the uh, hilarity of the uh, uh, surgery device uh, and where it's placed relative to Picard's chest. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a little low on his body. <laughs> you don't and... know where they have to put a mechanical heart in there. True. <laughs> yeah, it isn't necessarily going right into uh, back into his uh, you know chest cavity there. Uh, you know, it could be just somewhere near his stomach or you know, in it, by his pelvic bone. I don't know. <laughs> There's a lot of other stuff. There's a lot of empty space in your general chest area. You know? And, and, you know, there's a certain amount of give and, you know, pushing of things around you can do as well. And the only thing you really have to worry about is, you know, not collapsing your lungs and stuff like that. So, you know. Yeah, it's it's a little weird. <laughs> so Jordy decides he's going to contact the Enterprise so that they can help negotiate. I uh, can't give them the computer; it won't work. Uh, but they won't be able to get there through their shields because the Packlets seem to have gotten Romulan shields as well as you know uh, Klingon disruptors and stuff from basically everywhere. Their ship is just a hodgepodge of random technology from everybody. Uh, sort of a uh, cobbled together mess of sorts and uh, maybe that's why they weren't able to detect it before it's like oh yeah this seems like it's everything just kind of on the blink but it's because nothing actually is meant to be compatible with each other yeah <laughs> so Riker decides there's nothing to do too bad they have to leave Jordy there but he is an expert in photon torpedoes uh data will miss arming the torpedoes and working with the hydrogen collectors together Yep. And Worf <laughs> is sad that he never reached the 24th level of awareness. Oh, well, goodbye oh. forever. Well, I guess I'll uh, I'll never get there and uh, my enlightenment as warriors at an end. Uh, bye, mm-hmm. Worf. So now Jordy, under threat of death because the Enterprise is going to kill them all, you know, sets about making a torpedo for the Packlets so they can be strong and have weapons. Hmm. The Packlets is like, oh sweet he's like joining our side because apparently mm-hmm. his people are betraying him so yeah that's neat <laughs> so Riker orders them to force to force through their communications they're going to blow up the packlids uh laforge is upset it's like oh no i'm gonna die wait mm-hmm. for them to wait for him to set up something before they do anything though you know he's gonna do a super secret weapon thing yeah 
I'll I'll, I'll get things uh, fired up and uh, you'll be able to, uh, you know, you defend yourselves, guys, and you'll be armed to the teeth. But, so know, when Riker finishes counting down from 24, he's going to fire off the red cloud. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Forge finishes, shield. but it's too late. And the Enterprise uses their crimson force field and disarms the entire ship. Oh, no. Uh, sorry, guys. I did all I can. We're now helpless and uh, we're all going to die. It's been nice no. knowing you. Then the Paclids immediately surrender and they get Geordi and Ra to the Sar base, you know, because they just vented harmless gas and the forge sold it. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the, the Paclids are, uh, you know, still, you know, they, they might be, you know, being nefarious here, but they're still new to this whole uh, intergalactic community thing. Uh, and, you know, you know, the sorts of, you know, nonsense the Federation pulls off when they're trying to be deceptive. Mm. So, <laughs> So, you know, it's like, yeah, this is something a little weird. Uh, we've never seen a Federation ship do this before. Um, this seems bad. <laughs> so Picard wakes up to see Pulaski. He's very upset because this was the entire you know point of him leaving. Mm-hmm. With her not poking around in his innards. <laughs> Picard, guess what? Oh, no, you're here. You You found it, didn't you? Yeah, I found... The secret candy inside. <laughs> so Picard's very worried about his image as captain because now the crew knows that he's fallible, but he gets a round of applause when he comes back to the bridge. He's stereotypically grumpy about it. Yeah. He says, no, I did not have a near-death experience. Everyone forget about it. The important <laughs> thing is Wesley passed his exams, so we still have an annoying teenager on board. Let's go! Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's what's important to le- learn here, guys. Uh, um, and also, you know, thanks for coming over. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. That's the that's the whole thing. Yes, we get some backstory about Picard and introduce the race of people that they will later decide are too stupid to live. Yes. Uh, so, uh, yeah, some uh, some pretty good stuff here, actually. And uh, you know, you know, independent of what happens later, of course, uh, and uh, an interesting antagonist, really. Yeah. It's fun. The fact that they kind of, they do a, they may be smarter than they look and then immediately turn around and go, uh, not really, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess in terms of, uh, how they're sort of reinterpreted by, you know, in, in, you know, in lower decks, it could very easily be justified that, you know, this sort of, uh, you know, uh, a, tr- a trickery sort of a you know behavior just gets taken to such an extreme them by them because you know oh hey it keeps working like eight times out of ten so we'll just keep leading into it and oh no this actually got really actually stupid whoops <laughs> <laughs> yeah culturally they just did it too much yes you know they've they've learned something that they re- that is highly effective and uh, didn't know when to stop whoops. They do kind of heavily imply that, you know, this particularly dumb ruse wouldn't have worked if they were smarter. But it's also just because, you know, they they aren't familiar with what a Federation starship can and cannot do. Mm-hmm. So they saw a visual effect, all of their power turned off, and the guy who should know what's going on told them that something happened. Yes. And, you know, given the Paclids, you know, are basically doing what the Borg will do later by assimilating technology into their uh, 
their ship there, they might not necessarily be experts about you know what things are vulnerable to what. Mm-hmm. So there is a you know a bit of a uh, yeah you're kind of still new to a lot of this and inexperienced, uh, and so it's not you know super much of a surprise that they might be caught off guard like that. So basically, what this episode is doing is uh, it's it's doing comedy by leaning into some unfortunate colonialist tropes that we now need to disentangle because it's you know the only thing that would let us talk about this in any kind of meaningful way. You mean that uh, you know the, the colonialist powers going out in, into new areas of, of uh, to explore find folks that they are unable to communicate and thus uh, decide that the reason they're unable to communicate uh, the way that they prefer to be communicated with, that means that these people they've just met who have their own lives and culture and are able to handle their own lives just fine are are actually, you know, uh, ignorant or stupid or, you know, slow or whatever word you want to sort of toss into here to uh, basically... uh, describe someone as uh, not sufficiently intelligent and thus it is a-okay to dominate them yeah we've got all kinds of things in uh this is still something that we have we use as a this is still used as like a comedy trope a lot and it's something that we just haven't examined it's been used so often but it was a full-on justification for you know colonialism and slavery back in the day that these people who have never encountered your culture before uh, do not understand your culture and are therefore stupid because you understand your culture. And, and so it, it, it leads to a, uh, a series of bad motivations in terms of uh, how they you know, end up interacting with each other. Though interestingly, word. some of that was, um, even at the time, was just cultural propaganda. Mm-hmm. that was being used to justify various political machinations like um, Cortez coming to the Americas um, was just this little power grabby dude who actually was a sort of like low to mid-level military guy like I don't think he was ever fully in the military but the way that they did stuff back then he was like mid-level administrative most of his life got the mm-hmm. chance to run this expedition to the new world and then used spreading religion as an excuse to do a bunch of shit that he like actually wasn't legally justified in doing according to Spanish law. It's like, yeah, I've uh, I've spread Christianity to everyone who's still alive. Yeah, well, any of yep. that, like, um, <laughs> I attacked them because they made fun of the Bible. Yeah, that's what they did. <laughs> totally, these people that have never encountered the Bible before and don't know what the hell you're talking about Totally made fun of the Bible because I said so. So, you know, trust me. Yeah, all these silly stories. There's a very there's a very silly, like, almost certainly untrue story about Cortez's men, like, meeting the emperor of the Incan Empire and them saying, like, our book, our holy book says stuff. And then they grab it and it's like, I don't hear anything yeah that's nonsense yeah (laughs) but it's that kind of level of like we're justifying how backward and stupid these people are because they don't do things in exactly the same cultural way that we do Mm -hmm. and that makes them dumb in fact a very interesting thing that i just learned is one of the 
many, many things that uh, colonialist powers said they were superior for doing and other cultures not doing it just proved how backward they were was um, strict binary gender separation. Ah, (laughs) all that nonsense. Yeah, colonialist powers, especially the English, invented this notion of men and women being completely different animals essentially that had to do different things and didn't just say this is a matter of our own cultural evolution but essentially a matter of your own superior biological evolution because the sexes would start to diverge the more and more advanced a civilization became so the fact that men and women were doing the same things this enforced specialization so like the fact that men and women in these other countries weren't as you know separate as they were in europe was just a demonstration of how backward thinking they were (sighs) dang it england why'd you have to go do this kind of crap yeah so anyway the fact that they can't do that and then always of course we've always had this like american stereotype of a dumb immigrant because you know they don't speak english as well as other people do yet and so are stupid because they can't understand english and you know english is is so easy babies can learn it right yeah it's not how languages work really (laughs) because you know when you're a baby it's easy to learn any language if you're exposed to it (laughs) and you know that's just kind of how brains work <laughs> and when you stop being a baby that kind of you know slows down that whole process and you know, you can still pick things up by uh, you know exposure uh it's just going to take a lot more time and effort on your part so you know and they also do a particular thing through a lot of this series it's it's a very very common science fiction trope in fact that gets repeated wholesale in star trek over and over and over which is another one of these just uh you know repeated colonialist indicators of of a species being unworthy of your consideration which is the packlids are described essentially as a scavenger culture where mm-hmm. they're just grabbing other people's technology and using it instead of having their own technology, which would, of course, be an infinitely superior way to go about things. Um, there's nothing wrong with being a scavenger, though, is the thing. <laughs> well, it's yeah. like that. Like, why Why do you need someone? Like, you brought a wheel to this place. They, you know, for whatever reason, didn't have it as a thing to put on carts before. Then they started putting it on carts because they don't have to reinvent the literal wheel. Mm-hmm. But or they didn't have it and you, we we often also have that as like a because people use different technology because everywhere is different and different technologies apply differently in different places mm-hmm. we use that as a measure of how backward a civilization is like the fact that they came to the americas and people weren't using large heavy draft animals and didn't have like you know wheeled carts were like oh these people are so dumb they can't even invent roads but they had massive systems of roads and inner city communication just a lot of it was built on you know mountains and wetlands where road systems that accommodate heavy carts are not particularly useful yes (laughs) and uh you know there's also the the you know the, the situations where it's like yeah the what you're actually trading isn't, you know, you're not needing to move it in bulk or, 
you know, cause you know, you have self-sustained communities or you have situations where, uh, you know, there is the train is, as you say, you know, you, know, you can have like, you know, some mountains here and it's like, okay, so if you're going to have carts here, basically anytime you're not in a city, it's going to be rolling downhill somewhere. And that's just more annoying. So might as well just carry my hand. <laughs> yeah. And we, st we still don't have, um, road systems that go through parts of central and south america because the jungles are just too inaccessible it's not good terrain for this sort of stuff here and uh and uh you know that's part of the reason that there's uh, like a, a, a national park in panama that uh you know is at the uh the border with uh, uh colombia that is kind of in the way of any roads going from north to south america there uh, yeah. It's like, yeah, it's just too, it's in, it's <laughs> too much pain to do anything. <laughs> so just make it a, you know, a nice, uh, you know, uh, you know, park here and uh, just kind of leave it be in nature. So, yeah. And there was just this story I was, I was being told about this, this anecdote from, you know, that story of how Western settlers came to the Americas and then just found this amazing, you know, bounty of of available food and resources and yada yada <laughs> and isn't it great that we the blessed europeans came here and there's just like natural orchards and foods growing everywhere etc etc <laughs> god has truly blessed us and and the native people don't even know what to do with all of this isn't it great we're here um, and um... basically they've just <laughs> gone to other people's orchards and farms Yep. But because they handled their agriculture slightly differently than Europeans handled their agriculture, they went, well, of course, all of these fruit trees growing here is just God's natural plan. Yeah, because there's not a, uh, a local lord here to, uh, to manage things or a, uh, a, you know, a, a wealthy uh, you know, uh, trader folk that have uh, you know, purchased lands you know, centuries ago from the uh, feudal nobility to uh, you know, kick off their orchard and, or other sort of... Uh, you know, you know, land baron sort of uh, you know, character here to uh, tell you to get lost because, you know, this orchard kind of belongs to this entire community. That's just right over there. And they're like, what are you doing, guys? Come on. Uh, like, so oh. the entire, like, nationalistic myth, especially around later westward expansion in the Americas of this being like a blessed land full of abundant natural resources untouched by human hands is the equivalent of someone going to europe finding a farm and being like look at all of this corn just growing here in a big field isn't it amazing what god can do to provide us with food in this abundance wow there's all these uh, cattle all penned in here and isn't that just amazing that god has done this that uh, you know uh, for us because yeah, obviously the locals are not grew up here yeah. and yeah. <laughs> count all these very docile animals around for us to eat yeah that's just amazing uh, <laughs> oh look we got a uh, uh this whole bunch of uh, vines that are just all uh, in in nice little rows here uh you know clearly uh, god has decided to lay out uh the the makings and uh you know materials we need to make lots of wine here so yeah. that's kind of cool. <laughs> and of course, people would never do that because no person would be dumb enough to create a monoculture farm. <laughs> right? That would be really stupid. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's all a little ridiculous about what was uh, being sold about the Americas and uh, you know other parts of the world uh, you know, a bit later on. That, you know, it's just sort of like, yeah, this entire thing was built on a lie 
in order to, uh, you know, justify taking it and selling it back home. So this whole thing plays off, this whole episode is playing off of these unexamined colonialist tropes. And then because of the inherent limitations of this kind of episodic storytelling, they need to try to both say oh no we assumed they were dumb and actually they weren't because you know they they turned it around on us mm -hmm. isn't that amazing we, we like thought these people were really stupid because of the way they talk and then they just tricked us and kidnapped one of our guys um but then because they have to wrap it up in about 20 minutes so that they can deal with the other side plot mm -hmm. They have to just immediately trick them back in a way that is infinitely dumber than the way they were tricked originally. Yes, uh, which is, you know, not really a good way to go forward, honestly. You know, I, I tried to sort of, you know, round up, you know, provide a, a, a explanation for why it's plausible. But in terms of story writing, yeah, it's actually kind of crap. Yeah, I, it I guess... makes sense in you've never seen this piece of technology before and you'll be inclined to believe whatever someone who should know how it works will tell you, but... But. <laughs> still is presented as these people who seemed stupid are actually really stupid. Mm -hmm. I, I think I would have actually preferred that... Uh... You know, once the uh, Enterprise crew is like, wait, maybe these guys are, you know, not as they seem, you know, and our, you know, our assumptions about their ability level is completely wrong. We need to, like, figure out some way that, you know, to basically outthink them. And, uh, you know, because we can't, you know, you know, assume we know anything about their, their uh, levels of, uh, you know, intelligence here. So, uh, you know, let's come up with like a tech tech plan or something like that. I know, you know, later on I might start complaining about how often that happens. But this would actually be a very good moment to have something like that where, all right, well, they got a lot of technology that, you know, you know is very much cobbled together. Can we exploit that? You know, yeah, maybe the uh, you know, there's some fundamental incompatibilities in terms of how Romulans and Klingons and whoever designs things uh, that, you know, if they are hit with the right beam or waves, it can cause some weird effect. So, you know, something that we could maybe exploit. Maybe not make it a simple, you know, suddenly their shields drop sort of thing, but, you know, you start causing their systems to start interacting in funky ways so that, uh, you know, the ship starts spinning around in circles or something like that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or, you could have had to... You could have been like, oh, we can we know this technology so we can, like, use it against them. We've encountered I mean, Romulans before. Still don't know much about them on a lot of things, but we have got enough scans in order to pull this trick off. Push the button. <laughs> and so you can uh, very much have a thing where, you know, the uh, you know, you, the pack lids are now start trying to work the, the problem of, oh, no, our stuff's not working together. And Jordy's like, I am not an expert on your systems. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I was going to give you some Federation technology here. Um, but, you know, in terms of figuring all this stuff out, I can do the basics. But, well, sorry, I can't help with anything else. But maybe if I had my full team accessible to me, I might be able to help. So if you let me get back, I'm still willing to, uh, to work <laughs> with you guys. And then maybe they'll like, well, okay, sorry, we screwed up, but we really need your help, guys. <laughs> and so you turn it from a, a fake emergency into a real emergency for them. And, 
you know, you get Jordy back and you like stop your, whatever your tech uh, business is. And it's like, no, sorry. Uh, we're, we're this, you know, you, you, you shouldn't be trying to put this stuff together here uh, and stop tricking people. We're not going to warn everybody about you. Bye. <laughs> they could have also definitely tried a couple of their solutions first. They would have needed to engage with like more time on the Packlid mm-hmm. storyline. Yeah. But you could try a couple of their, oh, we're just going to trick them because they're stupid storylines. Mm-hmm. And, and it just doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work because they're actually smarter than you're assuming they are. You know, uh, when they uh, start uh, trying to do the, uh, you know, a leading conversation with Jordy, the pack lids are like, come on, guys. <laughs> we know you're, you know, you're conveying you know, messages to each other and we're not going to uh, stand for this uh, end communications before you can finish whatever it is you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> so there, there's ways that they could have engaged with it in a useful way. And you're right. The fact that they have all the scavenged technology, they could go like, oh, well. You know, we can do whatever made up thing, because if we do this thing to overload the Romulan part of the ship, it will do something to the Klingon part of the ship. Maybe not going to be uh, even nearly uh, nearing to uh, bring down their shields, but it will start affecting and causing these waves in their systems and et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, uh, you know and then so, you know, sort of make, trying to make use of things that the uh, the Paclids, you know, in their their desire, their lust for uh, uh, new toys uh, haven't uh, really thought through here. Mm. You, know, uh, you know, make use of, uh, you know, a, a a weakness that is not being abused by them to uh, to make themselves uh, look vulnerable. Okay, one that's actually a, weak, a real weakness. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so I feel like we get this whole, like, you know, you hit a big problem with things that are supposed to be, like, funny comedy episodes. Because mm-hmm. those are the ones that they usually haven't examined the writing on, particularly. Yes. <laughs> it's, funny it's funny like, because this, it's funny. <laughs> yeah, this is a funny trope, and we used this funny trope that people have used before, and then we just, you know, didn't really think about think about it. Because, yeah. you know, it's just a funny trope. It's just comedy. Mm. It's just a joke, guy. Can't you take a joke? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, you know, you, you you can't you can't critique a joke because it, it's just a, it's just funny. That's not how humor works, though. But but it does. I trust me. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> hmm. Yeah. There, there's some uh, some episodes of DS9 I'm really not looking forward to right now. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Anyway, <laughs> back to this episode. <laughs> uh, so, uh, uh, is there anything else more you want to uh, touch on in terms of the uh, the uh, the pack leads and colonialism and all that? I mean, that was it. That's just the unexamined tropes of the Packlids. Well, uh, how about artificial hearts? Oh, uh, yeah. We've, we're sort of doing that. They just did something with pigs, I know. I guess, uh, you know, artificial uh, transplants and things like that, you know, are generally kind of a new thing when you think about it uh, in terms of, uh, you know, t- you know, things that we do medically. Uh, you know, I should have come up uh, track down a good timeline of like you know first you know we transplant of this bit and that bit or something like that um but uh you know like even but a lot of it kind of comes down to also a lot of our modern medical technology and techniques is also relatively new like 
you know, go back a century and, you know, I'd probably be dead five times over. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, there's, uh, you know, things that are like simple that we are able to do now that are <laughs> perhaps only decades old, uh, you know, oh, yeah. if, you know, <laughs> I just found the first successful heart transplant was performed in 1967. Yeah, exactly. And so, so the, the yeah. entire idea of transplanting a heart was 20 years old when this episode was made. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're going and, you know, it's the future. So we're going to have a fully automated, uh, you know, artificial heart that will uh, be able to be, you know, you know, make you know, the need for a heart donor, uh, you know, moot. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's, yeah. <laughs> if it had just been 20 years earlier then you know the uh the uh the, the sci-fi uh option would have been a heart transplant of a human heart to a human heart yeah <laughs> so i mean in fact the first let's see just doing additional research while you're explaining the first artificial heart transplant was in 1982 which would have mm-hmm. been uh about seven years before this episode was made oh <laughs> <sighs> And, uh, you know, there is, you know, you know, still complications with artificial hearts and that, uh, but, uh, you know, it, you know, a lot of, you know, things like, you know, pacemakers, uh, you know, are also relatively new technology. It's like, so you, you, you could have the full heart surgery or you could have, you know, this, uh, thing that will basically help your heart keep going, even though it you know, has uh, structural damage from a heart attack or, or something else. Uh, and we'll just sort of install this bit of technology in and, you know, just every once in a while I have to recharge it and we're good to go. And that's kind of cool. And, you know, going back, you know, you know, uh, you know, a century, it's like, yeah, this is like stuff well beyond what they would even possibly be able to dream of. <laughs> and, uh, it's it just so, so wacky when I think about it, that it's just like, yeah, we've come so far in medical technology that it's. You know, it, you know, it's like people talk about. It's like, yes, you know, uh, at this point there was no, you know, uh, you know, automobiles, but it's like, well, there's still trains back in the 1800s. Come on, uh, you know, there's still mechanical vehicles that can go fast, that can take you places. So, you know, but you know, back in the 1800s, it's like, here, have some alcohol, and I'll try not to give you a, uh, an infection to, uh, you know, work on your teeth here. And anything else, well, you, we'll just probably just chop off the limb. <laughs> Yeah, medical uh, technology has been uh, increasing at a ridiculous rate in the last few mm -hmm. years, which is good. Yeah, and it's, you know, I guess it uh, gives me hope for uh, uh, humanity and all that, that uh, we'll be able to live, you know, good, healthy lives in the long run, uh, that, uh, you you know, despite ourselves, we'll be living longer, stronger, bigger, faster, more lives as we go forward and uh the thing though you know, we you know we have to make sure we're making good use of them all the same too so you know uh take care of yourselves guys but uh you know uh, for the things that uh we're not able to do, you know you know get sorted out on our own there's uh, there's hope for all of us and that's kind of nice that's a, that's a it makes you feel good you get one <laughs> yeah it's nice that somebody's working on this whether you can afford it that's another capitalist nightmare mm, yeah. yes <laughs> uh i guess the uh the the the, the uh, secret option we have to go with then uh is uh to uh get ourselves a uh a Samaritan snare situation where uh we uh pretend that we're helpless uh in a spaceship somewhere uh perhaps 
crash landed near a hospital and you're like yes we need help to uh <laughs> to make our hearts go and we're gonna kidnap a doctor and yes <laughs> that fly off because <laughs> that's totally how it's gonna work uh yeah, anyway makes sense <laughs> But uh, yeah, I, I just wanted to sort of, I guess, uh, circle around that, uh, you know, you know, because we, we're fairly gloom and doom about a lot of stuff here. <laughs> but you know, sometimes there is cool stuff going on in our world that is actually really nice that it's happening. You know, I'm not a medical researcher, but I do have uh, run into folks, you know, in that uh, sort of genre of fields there, and there's some, you know, kind of fantastic stuff. Like uh, when I was in grad school. Uh, they're like, okay, so you know, in terms of detecting breast cancer, we got some kind of okay technology and a lot of guesswork. And you know, it's like, all right, so now that there's a lot more better imaging thanks to some of the stuff I was encountering in terms of people's research uh, then, it's like, yeah, so we got you know, you know, the old devices to sort of uh, scan things uh, plus new devices that can help give us another sort of you know take on what's actually going on and put these together and it can actually make good uh, you know uh, you know estimates about what's actually dangerous what's not actually dangerous and uh, you know be able to save lives and that's really kind of cool and it's like stuff that I have kind of been quietly watching in the background in terms of uh, developments here and yeah I just find it really neat so it's also fun <laughs> I, to, I'm gushing <laughs> we're so used to some of this stuff like the new technology or something pops up out of nowhere so it's mm -hmm. good to bring the historical context in it's like you know when they wrote this in the 80s this was like five years old so this was super <laughs> science like cutting edge sci-fi like oh my god we can we can make robot organs there is still much so much more to do but it is important to not forget how much you know we've you know as a, as a civilization, a, a world, how much we've accomplished. You know, like the the COVID vaccine, ten years earlier, how we you know got it sorted out was science fiction. <laughs> you know, but you know they they put in the uh, the the uh, the background research to be in a good position to. How you know have the you know, the right kind of uh, you know uh, RNA sort of uh, you know uh, uh, you know uh, vaccine research already done by the time when we really 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 needed it we were able to sort of uh, like okay so there's still some things we need to figure out here but if we get on this right now we can actually save a lot of lives and you know we managed to do that sure COVID's still a thing and it's still you know an ongoing threat and it's still you know uh, killing people. But it could have been a lot worse without that. And that's really nice. <laughs> yeah. And now I'm going to go get my COVID vaccine with my flu shot. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, and you, you know, keep up on your shots, everybody. And, uh, you know, you'll live longer. So, hooray. It's okay. We got to be optimistic, but also diseases. Yes. <laughs> diseases everywhere. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, are you, uh, are, are you uh, going to be using a, uh, a, uh, a light detection method uh, to uh, scan your soft tissues, Gepwin, uh, while you're getting your vaccines? None until those stop popping up so many false positives that they're basically not worthwhile. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, be careful with that. I think it's interesting that a lot of modern medical research is maybe we should stop looking for this kind of cancer because we find 500 instances of it not actually being threatening and putting people through unnecessary surgeries. Yeah, you know, let's uh, you know, be uh, 
modest and think through our decisions. Hmm. Hey, that's a whole rabbit hole that I'm sure we'll get to in some other episodes too. Yes. <laughs> there are many more episodes of Star Trek to explore and science fiction shows beyond even that. Well, for now, we're back to the galaxy's favorite game show. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show. Our various contestants are, uh, you know, racking up lots of uh, points here. Um, some of them are speaking a little weirdly, but that's a-okay. So, uh, yeah, so we got some prizes to hang out here, or hand out here. Uh, so let's start with the first prize, the Oblivious Coworker Prize, which goes to the Packlets for not picking up on those coded messages Jordy was, uh, was hearing and picking up from the Enterprise coup. What do they win, Gepwin? They win all the secret stuff they obviously stole from the Enterprise so that they could get to the massively overpowered technology that they have later because, you know, they aren't that dumb. Mm -hmm. They were just stealing stuff behind his back. He's like, yeah, yeah, you totally tricked us. Definitely. Yep. <laughs> oh, no. The Red yes, Force uh, Field. Yeah. Damn. It's like, oh, yes. Uh, you know, when uh, Riker forces a uh, communication link with the pack lids, like, well... You're forcing it now so we can maybe piggyback on that signal and just, you know, start downloading your entire computer when you're not looking. And, oh, no, you tricked us. Don't hurt us. Okay, you're leaving. Good. Excellent. They, they fell for it. Anyway, the, uh, the second prize is the ultimate showdown prize, which goes to Riker for finally meeting up with his ultimate adversary, um, I guess. Uh, anyway, uh, what does he win, Gepwin? Yeah, Riker wins never being put in command again because he wasn't able to like fully outsmart these guys. Which is why probably why they start like sidelining him more and more. It's not because Frakes was directing more often, it's because mm -hmm. they're like, Riker, you couldn't even deal with a Packlid. <laughs> Are you for real? Come on, Riker. Hmm. We're gonna we're gonna put data in charge for best of both worlds now. See how, you know, see how that goes instead. Uh, anyway, the uh, the third prize is, speaking there of Best of Both Worlds, is the uh, Cyborg Picard Prize, which goes to Picard, naturally, for getting himself that damned artificial heart that will maybe one day totally kill him. Uh, what does he win, Gepwin? Picard wins some cybernetic bootstraps, because his entire backstory here is, I learned how fragile life is, and that made me the best man and captain and brr, 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 old person conservative rant. Indeed. So uh, pull up those cyber bootstraps, Picard, and uh, uh, hook them up to your cyber heart, which is apparently in your kidneys, maybe. Um, yeah, and uh, you'll get the all figured out, I'm sure. Uh, Wesley, uh, just, just stop paying attention to him. Uh, you'll find your own way eventually, even though it's really confusing. Anyway, uh, that's all I got here for t uh, things here today, Gepwin. I'm getting weirdly tongue-twisted, so feel free to take us away. Ah, I do love, as much as I don't like a lot of what they did in Star Trek Picard, I do love that Wesley just becomes a time-traveling stoner. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> like, let's just kind of, like, fix the timeline, yo. So, thank you, everyone, for joining us at the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show! Woo!
So all right, next we've gone from a weird comedy episode to can you believe a weird a comedy we- episode? Yeah. Uh, and in fact, uh, yeah, the, the Samaritan's Dare has some like eh, stuff in going on. You know, even though I generally like it as an episode, the next one is kind of painful to watch because <laughs> uh, you know they're they're going to do that that thing again with uh, oh look at these Irish people. Yeah, which is, it's interesting how much we uh, still get away with making fun of the Irish. It's just so baffling to me, though. It's like you guys like just wandered out of like 1840 here. What in terms of like how you like view the Irish and and now we're uh, we're, we're this is in space and we're in the future and there are still Irish people from the 1840s. <laughs> and we can talk about the, the get to talk about the history of uh, anti-Irish racism in in mm. England. And why we have all of these weird tropes about Irish people. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, uh, on, and also cloning. Yes, and uh, cloning issues. and, uh, you know, it, and how uh, this episode, this coming episode also links to uh, uh, a bit of abortion perhaps as well. Um, but also this, uh, the ship that they flew uh, looked like uh, one of the ships from Babylon 5. So that was mm. kind of cool. <laughs> also, I'm gonna have an in- I get to have an interesting time with episodes like this because my family history is both Scottish and Irish. So, <laughs> do I get offended for my Irish heritage, or do I laugh along with my Scottish heritage? Hmm. That's. I'm gonna leave that up to you. Uh, <laughs> I I do know that there's a little bit of Scottish uh, heritage for myself, probably some Irish as well, um, but plenty of English. So. Uh, I'll, so you uh, are the problem. Yeah, so I'll just be the problem then. <laughs> Golly. Now, uh, there's also like some Scandinavian, some Swiss, some French, I think, uh, some Germans, and uh, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of a mutt like that, but yeah, I'm also very white, so it makes sense. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, yep, that's what we get to next time. So, you know, we get to discuss uh, weird, weird old stuff that, like, is such old kinds of racism, we can't even realistically consider it racism anymore. No, it, it's, it's, it's gone from, oh, this is really terrible, but there's people that are going to go fully into it because they ha- hate the Irish, to... This is terrible just because it's awful. Uh, to this is terrible because it's bad comedy. <laughs> <laughs> Though I mean, we will be able to say, like, comparing the historical fallout from these things and looking at how you can now use them in modern day like comedy tropes and storytelling is very illuminating to how we haven't actually fixed anything. Mm-hmm. So that'll be fun. We can compare and contrast historical historical uh you know genocides yep that sounds like a uh, a barrel of monkeys i think I mean, it sounds exactly like the thing mm. we do every other episode on yeah. <laughs> it's either but that or so. talk about abortion again i mean yes <laughs> you know we got like we keep falling into like three or four uh discussion topics and uh you know that's why I wanted to do a do do a good <laughs> news one today because you know we're gonna be right back at it again. Yeah, thank so you, season two. Next time we'll tell you how a comedy episode is bad. Actually, next time on Watchers of Tomorrow.
forced breeding. You have been listening to Watchers of Tomorrow, a podcast on science fiction media. Find and follow Watchers of Tomorrow on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Spreader, Digital Podcast, and perhaps many more to come. If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe for more. And where possible, make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review. You may find Gepwin on youtube.com slash Gepwin and Twitter at Gepwin. You may find me, Dr. Isix, on youtube.com slash Dr. Isix and Twitter at IsixLP. Music is Waveform and Maury's Principle, both by DRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, please be aware that the next time you step off the transporter, that you, that is now, no longer exists. <laughs>